Hey there, uh, I'm in New York City at the moment, uh, staying at a little Airbnb uh, for a couple of nights. Uh, it's a tiny little space uh, in New York. You don't pay very much for your money here. Um, the, uh, the entire apartment is the size of like a, you know, a bedroom. Um, but it's very cool. It's very close to Grand Cent or Central Park. Um, you know, like three blocks, and I'm I'm in the heart of that. It's very very cool. So it's good to be back in New York. I spent a lot of time here a few years ago. Um, I lived uh, in Connecticut, just up the road, and um, spent a lot of time in in Brooklyn. So catching up with some old friends, hanging out, uh, and uh, tonight I am doing a talk on uh, Prometheus. Because as many of you will know, the next Aliens film is coming out in May. Um, I think it's called Covenant, uh, Alien Covenant. And, um, and so tonight I'm kind of talking about Alien from a kind of philosophical, uh, theological perspective. Um, by the way, if you're listening in, please say hi. Tell me where you're listening from. Um, uh, feel free to ask any questions you want. Um, hey Warren, how's it going? Hey John. Um, uh, yeah, so tonight, uh, the reason why I'm interested in this movie uh, is because, in a sense, the Alien movies give this incredible uh, uh, kind of um, visual cinematic reflection on what we can call the death drive in psychoanalysis. Uh, and actually, I think it actually gives us a key to understanding what the term sin means theologically. And I'm not talking about like anything like swearing or going out with girls who chew gum or anything like that. I mean, what does this term mean in its, in its sophisticated and deep form? And that's what I want to talk about uh, tonight. Um, so anyway, I'll give you a little, a little um, tidbit. And uh, basically, in the in the previous movies, the um, the idea is that this alien is perhaps a weapon of mass destruction. It is some sort of biological uh, weapon. It is some foreign agent that uh, you know attacks, destroys, devours. But in Prometheus, you get the kind of the genesis story of alien, where the alien comes from, and we discover something far more traumatic than the idea that it's some sort of alien from outer space. Um, it is, in fact, uh, what Shizek would call an alien from inner space. So to understand this, the, the movie starts with one of the engineers drinking some black liquid, and immediately uh, he begins to die and decompose, to decay. And out of the decaying of his body, the breakdown of his body, uh, this lifeless planet that he's on, which is presumably Earth, um, his DNA goes into the water and produces life. So we have the origin of the Earth. Uh, this sacrifice by this, this engineer um, creates life. Right. Now then, as the movie progresses, we see the black substance in the hands of an android and it doesn't do anything it's totally inert right but then this black substance is introduced to human beings and that gives birth to these reptilian forms and ultimately the alien so what we learn is actually this black substance 
emulates the inner essence of the species that it is around. It is not uh, inherently um, uh, malignant. Um, it is a reflection of something deep in the unconscious of the species it finds. So, of course, the, the android, nothing happens. There's nothing there. In the, with the engineer who embraces death and decay, new life comes along. But when it encounters human beings, it gives birth to this force of death. Now, interestingly, in the movie, the whole idea, and by the way, there's a spoiler here, so turn this off if you don't want to know. Um, uh, the expedition is being run by a man with almost unlimited wealth who doesn't want to die. He refuses to accept his finitude. He refuses to accept sacrifice, which at the very start of the film, there's the sacrifice of the engineer. And then Whelan is the one who refuses to, to die, refuses decay. Um, but also the other people who are on the expedition are also driven uh, by knowledge or by money, uh, by power. There's, there are these, these figures are all driven by something. This, this fleeing, I would say, from, from lack, this, this fleeing from anxiety and ultimately from death. Uh, now, this is, from a Freudian perspective, in a sense, the death drive that we flee our sense of lack, we flee our finitude, our unknowing, our brokenness. And so death is the ultimate form of lack, you know, the lack of life. But there's forms of death within life, like doubt is a lack of certainty. Um, uh, meaninglessness is a lack of meaning. Uh, uh, there's, um, you could say, so doubt, meaninglessness, you know, anxiety is ultimately the name that's given to our encounter with nothingness. Fear is a fear of something. Anxiety is a fear of nothingness itself. Right. So we experience a lack in our lives and in our being. And in our drive to fulfill that, to fill that with something, uh, that can be called, in a sense, the death drive. So ironically, the death drive is a fundamental refusal of death which is confusing when you hear the term death drive, because you think the death drive is about death, but actually the Freudian idea is the death drive is all about um, a fundamental fleeing from death and a self-destructive urge to um, be infinite, to be immortal, to be divine. And uh, I, you know, some elements I'm gonna go into tonight is the first time you encounter the black substance that has encountered human beings. Oh, and by the way, there's a hint that actually, because they say in the spacecraft, oh, some disaster happened 2,000 years ago on the planet. So of course that's a hint to 2,000 years ago, the death of Jesus, um, the idea that Jesus was one of the engineers, that the, that the aliens, ha the, the engineers have been going back to Earth um, and something fundamental happened to their creation that became fundamentally selfish, fundamentally refused to embrace death and decay. And so what happened is they, you know, killed one of the, uh, the one of the amb uh, uh, ambassadors of the of the engineers, so presumably Jesus. And this black substance created these these uh, this death drive that then killed the engineers. They ran back to this other planet. Only one of them survived. So there, there's this backstory that's hinted at throughout. But the serpentine figure. Uh, of the um, the black substance, of course, has resonance with the serpent, you know, and the serpent in, in, in Genesis. And interestingly, the serpent in Genesis is the one who says to human beings, 
Take the apple and you will be like God. Now, of course, what that means is to be like God is to lack the lack, to be whole and complete. Traditionally, the divine in religious terms is the, is the being that lacks lack, that is full. So the serpent says you can be whole and complete. So the serpent is the representation of the drive to escape our finitude, to have wholeness, God-like powers. Um, and interestingly, I mean, that's why as an aside, I say the church is mostly satanic in the sense of Satan, the devil, is that which says you have to do A, B and C in order to be whole and complete. So the promise of wholeness and completeness is the serpentine voice, right? Whereas grace is the opposite. Grace is you don't have to do anything, right? Anyway, so the serpent in the biblical text is the same as the superego in Freud. So for Freud, the superego is the voice that's inside you, that's always telling you you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to kind of like live up to something and be something. So the serpent and the superego are symbolized in Prometheus as a serpent, this very sexualized serpent figure. Um, and then ultimately then that gives birth to uh, the alien, who is this all-consuming drive uh, for life, that causes death and destruction, the death drive. Where you, and so th this by the way is like the critique of someone like Ayn Rand. Someone like Ayn Rand would say, well the thing about you know capitalism is that at least it's selfish and we can make it work for everybody. So people are gonna selfishly do what they want, right? Let's just take that for granted. People will wanna maximize their pleasure, minimize their pain. So what we have to do is work with that. Any system, any worldview that doesn't work with that is going to be flawed because we have to, we have to work on the basic principle of you know, self, uh, selfishness. But the Freudian insight is no, 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 no. Um, our problem is that we are selfless, uh, selfless in a perverse way. The selfless in the way that a zombie is selfless, that a zombie continues to attack something even though it's going to be destroyed. Just like the alien will attack and attack and attack even if it's going to be destroyed in the process. So what you have is people who are pursuing wealth to the detriment of their own well-being. You know, if they were selfish, they'd stop once they had 10 million or 20 million or 40 million, but they keep going and going and going. Or someone who has to continue to get hits and hits and hits their musicians. And if they were selfish, they'd stop after they, you know, created a really good album and they'd enjoy their lives. But this perverse self selflessness that continues to drive them uh, to the pursuit of, of, of wholeness that ultimately causes so much destruction. I mean, drug addiction is another good example often of, of death drive, uh, where we act against our own self-interests. Um, this is the basic Freudian insight, and the basic Freudian critique of utilitarianism as well. Um, so this, this is what connects with, I think, sin. Sin for me, um, in the biblical tradition, in the deep tradition, Original sin is an original lack, a sense of a lack that's within us. So ontologically, we are lacking. Um, and our desire to fill that lack, to get rid of it, um, is, is the frenetic drive that causes so much destruction. So um, what happens is we think we can fill this fundamental original sin, this original lack, this nothingness that is something, because there's two types of nothingness. There's nothingness that's nothing, and nothingness that's something. So think about debt. If you don't have any money, that's a nothingness that's nothing. You don't have money. But if you have debt, that's a nothingness that's something. It binds you to jobs you don't want. It binds you to institutions you despise. It gives you stress and heart disease and migraines. Um, so 
Original sin is in a sense saying there is a nothingness that is something, a lack that we experience in a deeply traumatic way. But the idea is not to fill this lack, but rather to rob the lack of its sting, to turn the nothingness that is something into a nothingness that's nothing. So think about debt. If you pay a debt, you fill it. You fill it, a debt is, is literally a nothingness. It's a, there's a lack of money. To pay a debt, you fill the lack. But to forgive a debt, you render the nothingness nothing. You say, oh, the nothing, the nothing that binds you is nothing. I render it nothing. I take its sting away. And uh, that, I think, is, is what salvation means. It's, um, it's robbing this lack of its sting. So there you go. That, in a nutshell, I'm going to be talking about it a lot more tonight, if any of you are going to be there. Um, there's one ticket left. Uh, it's free. So if any of you are listening from New York and want to come to the Upper West Side, um, there's still one left. Um, and then I'm doing an all-day gig tomorrow where we're going to go very, very deeply into this kind of stuff. So anyway, there you go. That's what I'm up to. Um, I wonder if any of you have any questions or thoughts. Seth says, why does Eve desire the apple in the first place? Because it's prohibited. Yes, prohibition in many cases gives birth to desire itself. Absolutely. Um, that, that what you have in, in this... Like, basically, Adam and Eve is an Oedipal story. Um, I'm surprised that people don't see this. Um, so the story, the Oedipal story in psychoanalysis is a guy wants to sleep with his mum and his father gets in the way. And I think I've talked about this on Facebook Live before, but, you know, in other words, the mother is the symbol of returning to an oceanic experience of oneness. That's the new age, you know, you can, you can be whole and complete. You can just detach and, and, and find this, this way to fill the lack. So whether that's religion or new age or secularism, these are all promises. They're, like, that's the symbol of the mother. The father is the symbol for the prohibition that gets in the way. And the son breaks the prohibition, which is the incest taboo, and, you know, sleeps with the mother, thinks it's going to be a blessing, but it's a curse. In Adam and Eve, you've got the same thing. You've got the apple, which is, signifies wholeness, completeness. You've got the prohibition, which signals what gets in the way. Adam and Eve break through the prohibition, get their heart's desire, and they realize it doesn't work. Um, this is, um, this is, this is, to understand that, you've got to understand that desire has an object and an object cause. Something I've talked about a couple of Facebook lives ago. The object of your desire, say, is like having a new house. But when you get it, you're depressed. Because the object cause of desire was you love looking at houses, you love going around, you love going online and seeing where you can live and all of that. That's the object cause. So when you get the object of your desire, you lose the object cause of your desire, which is the thing that makes you desire that thing in the first place. And that's the technical term for melancholy, where you get the object of your desire and you lose the object cause of your desire. So if you ever fulfill your dreams, that's why it's so depressing, um, because you lose the object cause. So all of this is going on in the story of Adam and Eve, and the prohibition, as Seth says, is very, very key. The more something is prohibited, the more our desire to transgress. And that's the death drive. The death drive is the desire to transgress the prohibition um, that, uh, you know, to get what we want. And then we realize it's not what we want. I realize this is all very complicated um, and we're not going in. I'm, I'm doing this very, very quickly. Usually I like to take an hour to say what I've just said in 15 minutes. Um, but... Uh, Yes, the, the more the prohibition functions, that's why, you know, when Paul says the law and sin are intertwined, which is the law that says no, develops this sense that there's something that can fulfill you beyond the law. And love is therefore that which says you, everything's permissible. 
not everything's beneficial, but everything's permissible. Because as soon as you take away the law, you take away the desire to transgress the law, and you're able to um, enter into a different form of existence. There you go. Um, let's see. Uh, Gareth says, are there any good ways of exploring what the object cause of our desires is? I mean, that's one of the rules of psychoanalysis, is to begin to work that stuff out. But, you know, if you're not in deep suffering and you don't need psychoanalysis, but you're interested, it is, it is you can just start viewing your behavior. So, for example, um, a lot of obsessive men, for example, they um, are attracted to women who are inaccessible. Um, so they think the object of desire is the woman. Um, but actually, and, and, you know, they want the woman, but the object cause is the woman's partner. So what makes the woman attractive to this obsessive, hypothetically, is the object cause. So really the desire is for the man. And you know, what you have to do is you go work that out. Or um, say a different example, a woman who is, is very jealous. And by the way, you know, it can be men or women or obsessives and hysterics, doesn't matter. But example of someone who's hysterical, i.e. suffering deeply from jealousy. Um, sometimes the object of desire is their partner but the object cause of desire is the person they think their partner is attracted to. Um, and consciously you think you hate the object cause of desire, but unconsciously you're attracted to the object cause of desire. You're interested in them, you're stalking them on Facebook, you're trying to emulate something of them, you're trying to, they, they're actually the kind of a key mechanism in what you're doing. So um, sometimes it's, a, it's about really looking at your behavior and and uh, and seeing, you know, seeing how things work, and and reading some good books as well will help on psychoanalysis. But yeah, it's it's tough because we hide these things from ourselves. Like an obsessive guy, for example, often doesn't realise that they're really attracted to a man. So you're talking about heterosexual male obsessive. Their their attraction is very connected to this other guy who makes this woman impossible. Sometimes what happens to the obsessive is when they actually, maybe the woman eventually says, okay, I'm gonna leave my husband and be with you. And then when that happens, the desire goes because the object cause of desire was the guy. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. What do you think of the, uh, René Girard and his mimetic theory? Yeah, I mean, I like René Girard. Um, I think he's an important figure, a great anthropologist, great reader of Christianity, one of the great, um, I, you, know, it, you know, in terms of if I'm doing a systematic, if I, if I am looking for a, a good systematic understanding of Christianity at its core, I think René Girard uh, really gets it. And, and, and René Girard's theories are complementary to um, Lacan, who I'm very influenced by. In fact, he, they were all hanging around in the same circles. Um, going to the same conferences, etc. Uh, uh, Seth says, a perfect example of object putier, which is the object cause of desire. He says, ordinary individuals can only desire insofar as they become victims of an illusion. They think they desire. All oh, right, you're going to get very deep on me, right? Yes, ordinary individuals can only desire insofar as they become victims of an illusion. Um, okay, I have to think about that. Seth, is that Lacan you're quoting? 
Oh, oh there's Peter uh, 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 Rinaldi. Is that the right way to pronounce it? Peter's the guy who's actually put on tonight and tomorrow. So uh, what's he saying? I just baked chocolate chip cookies for tonight in case ticket holders need another reason to come out. Well, there you go. You're going to get really good uh, cookies if you come out tonight. As there's one more ticket, so grab it. Um, let's see. Any other questions or thoughts? Uh, Kenneth says you make it simple. Thank you. I, did that make sense? I felt like I wasn't I, I wasn't intending to do a very deep Facebook live. I just wanted to kind of give you a taste of why I'm interested in Prometheus. Um, and as I say, the reason I'm interested in Prometheus is because we learn that the alien is the material manifestation of our inner drive to escape death. And in that that the alien is the material manifestation of what Freud calls death drive and within theology what's called original sin, um, which for me overlap. Uh, and, and in the same way that the serpent in the, in, in the Bible and the superego in Freud overlap very deeply. And so there are you know, important theological and psychoanalytic insights um, in, in the movie. Uh, so hopefully I'm going to do another one of these in LA before I go back to Belfast and I think I might do one in Belfast as well so you know because because the next one's coming out in May may as well do a couple of these talks uh, because after May all my theories will be probably um, thrown out and by the way I'll just I'll just say I'm uh, one of the people who influenced my reading of Alien is a guy called Adrian Bott I think B-O-T-T -T, Adrian Bott who uh, wrote a really great uh, blog post um, if you type his name in online, you'll find it. And, um, you know, he brings out some of these insights. So him and Slavio Shizek uh, has said some really, some really, really interesting stuff as well about Alien, more in passing. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're two of my major sources as well as um, kind of the theological side. Okay, thanks very much for listening in. Um, I'll, I don't know if this was any good, so I'll maybe listen to it and decide whether to post it or not. But uh, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.